0: Welcome to the Team Behind the Team podcast. I'm your host, Donnie Maeve. This is the monthly show focused on building conversations around the team-based model approach to athletic performance, strength and conditioning, sports medicine, sports science, mental health and wellness, and sports nutrition. Hello, and welcome back. To the team behind the team podcast. I'm your host Donnie Mabe, and today this month we have a very very special guest of mine and friend and colleague we'll get to in just a moment and before we go there I definitely got to always give a shout out and welcome my co-host coach Mike Hansen, is in the house again coach say hello to everybody there again.
1: Hey everybody happy to be back it's an exciting time here in Austin as it's about championship season with school wrapping up here.
0: Coach Hanson, how you been doing here? Coming out of the whole COVID thing and then moving into the the summer of twenty one, you doing all right?
1: Oh, I'm doing great. Um, got my second COVID shot or vaccine yesterday, so that's on, always go. exciting. Kind of it's that light at the end of the tunnel. It feels like. Um, but like I said, it's it's championship season around here on the Forty Acres, so it's kind of an exciting time for everybody.
0: Good stuff, Coach. I know I'm. I got my first shot. I got to wait a little while. I'll get my second shot soon, so I'll be right behind you on your heels. So, well, cool. Well, with that. Let me just do a, a quick introduction to a near and dear friend of mine that I met uh, back in 2017 for the first time. But first and foremost, before we get into that, Coach Tracy Fulber is on the show. Coach, will you say hello today, please?
2: Hello, everyone.
0: In a little interplay here, we call each other coacher. So if coacher comes <laughs> out,
2: I don't know where that
0: came from, coacher, but that's just kind of uh, the normal lingo. Yeah. So everybody listening, just kind of go with us. Okay?
2: That's going to come out, and and I'm sure you're going to bring out my my Southeast Missouri accent is going to probably creep in here over the next hour or so. So I love it,
0: <laughs> I love it. Well, hey, just a brief, just a brief little information about uh, Coach Tracy Fober. First and foremost, you know, I had the chance of meeting her at a uh, event, the USA High Performance Symposium in 2017. A good friend of ours, Coach Tim Pillow hosted the event and, and Tracy and I got the wonderful uh, experience and pressure of presenting together on the first day. So we actually connected from that, just anxiety and, and stress. We had a good time, but we were we were definitely thankful to be done. So that's kind of where we met and connected. Would you say that was accurate, Coacher?
2: Yes, I would say that was accurate. It was uh, privilege to be at that conference and especially right. to speak at that conference. But gosh, when you looked out in that room of 120 people and all of the very respected professionals that were there, it was really intimidating to speak at that event. And so um, you and I, we kind of looked at the schedule and we're like, okay, coacher, here we go. And then we were were so happy at the reception that evening to be exhaling and uh, just kind of like, okay, we can just sit and relax and listen to the rest of these things and not, not worry about our presentations working or laptops going out or whatever.
0: Right. So that's kind of how we met. And since then, we've kept in contact and we've been back a couple of times. And again, Coach Tracy Fober, as you'll see, this podcast that we do uh, monthly, if you've been listening, is all about the team-based model to performance. And Coach Tracy Fober, she wears multiple hats uh, in that kind of realm. And so her perspective is not only valuable, but it's unique and needed and probably more applicable to more people today. So just a little bit about her. She was, um, you know, her bio just a little bit. She just recently moved to Cleveland, Ohio, where she's kind of taking a little break from work right now and kind of getting her next plan together for the next uh, chapter and stage of her career. But just uh, she she moved from Park City, Utah, where she was, uh, was the director there, U.S. Ski and Snowboard, for four years leading into the Winter Olympics. She was Correct me if I'm wrong Tracy you were the you were sports medicine and strength coach there correct you kind of wore both those hats
2: Correct I was I was on the high performance staff I was my titles were rehab strength coach and then I was the strength coach for the snowboard halfpipe and slope style teams so I had yeah. I had those those two hats and it was a great experience and got to work with a lot of, of wonderful professional people and um a unique set of athletes uh, acrobatic athletes and just tremendous people. So
0: that's kind of, again, I find that so fascinating because most of our worlds, um, we, ha- we kind of live in silos, unfortunately. And and so to hear that is refreshing, that you're probably approach, you can be more efficient and move a little quicker than sometimes silos can bog you down. So that was, we, we, we can't wait to hear more about that. And then also she she had her own private facility she'd opened called uh, Maven. Uh yeah. Iron Maven performance and health performance, where again, you've had extensive background in running your own business, and that takes a whole different skill set, which you know I'm sure is has been valuable to you, but uh, can be difficult. But so anyway, that's Coach Tracy Fulber again, a little bit about her. Anything else you want to add there, Coach, before we get into the show?
2: Yeah, so I've I've had a little bit of a different um career path for someone who's a physical therapist. And for someone who has worked as a strength coach, worked at US Ski and Snowboard for four years, but then prior to that, and then after that, I had my own small facility, and it was just me. I did I did everything, and um, so you're right that that takes two very different skill sets to to be part of a a large organization and then to work independently uh, out in the private sector. Very. Uh, different, uh, environments. And I, I think I learned a lot about philosophy of practice and how, how you deal with people and then, um, how we might look at trying to break some of those silos down in, in between sports medicine and then the performance world, because there definitely are some challenges that, that the athletes don't get the best care when we when we have those walls up. And so we need to step back and and work at those and, um, you know, kind of be humble and um, see what we can do to uh, be more professional about things and just, uh, you know, give our best, be the team behind the team to support the athletes that we need to support.
0: That's good. I think kind of, we're already getting into the the show a little bit here, but that's perfect uh, segue. You know, when you've wore those dual hats, with performance like Sports Med, what were the challenges that you can you can think of that doing both, and did you enjoy one over the other? Kind of that I thought that was a
2: well one of one of the challenges is um, you kind of you don't fit m- most organizations. You have a job title, right, and you report to certain people. And I wasn't just a strength coach, and I wasn't just a PT. I was this kind of odd nomad in the middle. And so sometimes you're not really fully accepted by either group. So the 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 sports medicine people will be like, well she's a little rough around the edges, maybe not clinical enough. <laughs> <laughs> and then the 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 strength coach crowd is like, well, you're you're not really a strength coach because you know at some at one point in my work at US Ski and Snowboard, I didn't have a team that I worked with. So I wasn't considered a true strength coach because I, I wasn't actually directly connected with a team. Yet I was on the floor every day and I was I was helping supervise interns, but I wasn't looked at as a real strength coach. Um, I I didn't look like a strength coach. I was a little bit older, maybe 20 years older than the average age of the staff. So those things are kind of challenging because you just don't fit into any one little category (laughs) and so so trying to feel like a part a part of someone everyone wants to be a part of the the team but when you don't fit neatly into any one category sometimes that can be challenging what i enjoy i i enjoy both ends and that's probably why um i went into business for myself because i could do both things i could see i could see rehab patients and then i could work preparing athletes. But at the heart of the matter, I think I enjoy the, uh, the challenge of developing a process of progression and progressing people from, you know, the beginnings of rehab to the various high levels of movement right before they return to sport. Um, I, I enjoy the, the, the relationship that develops when you're able to work with people over um, a long term And so, so that's, that's what I, I'm a, I'm a therapist kind of at the heart, but, um, and I'm, and I'm an introvert. So the, the, one of the challenges for the strength coach world for me is I don't like to be loud. Okay. (laughs) So sometimes in a big team environment or in a, in a kind of loud, busy weight room, I struggle a little bit because I'm a quiet person and it's, it's, it's hard for me to be, to be loud and yell if, you know, I don't like to yell at people. And so that, that's kind of one of the challenges for me. I like to kind of be behind the scenes and I like to be, I've been a sport coach. I've coached volleyball at the division three level and boys high school volleyball. And I, I enjoy being the assistant coach and kind of observing and, and figuring out things and I don't need to be in the spotlight.
0: Coach, you don't like getting all up in somebody's grill piece? Just, just <laughs> no, I do not like
2: getting up <laughs> in people's yeah. grill. Like. Oh, that's no. awesome.
1: <laughs> so well, I was going to say, I think, I think being behind the scenes—I mean, that's that's the title of our show, right? right. We're the team behind the team. So it right. sounds like you—you're uh, in the right realm if that's kind of what you prefer.
2: Right, and you know, like in, in my sport career. I played basketball and volleyball, and uh, I liked to pass the ball. I was a setter in volleyball, and I held the assist record at my high school um, for a while. So I, I don't mind not having the glory of you know getting getting the big kill or or making the big shot. I'm I'm very happy to 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 do the assist to get there, and I, I enjoy that. And so, I love
1: that. There's a lot to be proud about being a catalyst. So
2: yeah, exactly
1: you know, kind of speaking of how you really do enjoy kind of the rehab part of it. And then also we've highlighted the fact that you've held positions as a strength coach, physical therapist, a physio, and in multiple settings. How has your experience of wearing all of those hats directly influenced your approach in rehabbing and returning athletes back to their sport?
2: Well, I can see the big picture. So I, and I have an appreciation for what it takes at the very beginning of the acute care of a high level athlete and then what it takes as they near return to to practice, near return to competition. Um, I'm not afraid of what it takes to, to get an athlete back to national or international level movement and, and skill. Um, but I also have the, I have empathy for the sports medicine professionals working with them when they, you know, when there are a lot of, uh, you know, limitations and stuff and you have to work around those. And, and I'm a pretty patient person. So I, I like to understand where we are now and have a clear, a clear understanding of where we need to be and how we're going to get there. So sure. that, yeah. that, that's kind of like, like I, I can look at both ends as a spectrum and, um, have an appreciation for both of those.
1: Absolutely. Um, again, that's kind of another common theme that pops up on the show is that coaches, you know, regardless if you're a dietitian, if you're in sport medicine, strength coach, whatever is the ones who can kind of see through different lenses. It seems like that they have a better or more complete picture and that usually, kind of fast tracks the processes, whether it's going to be training an athlete or returning them to play, you know, whatever it may be. So, and I know that was kind of what was attractive to coach Maeve about getting you on the show is that you do have that experience kind of with your hands in multiple buckets, which is kind of how it should be. Um, Dan Path has talked to us before and he's always telling us one of the best pieces of advice that he's gotten is, is learning from everyone else. Cause at the end of the day, we all our lanes kind of all intersect and overlap at different points in the training process. So that's awesome to hear from you.
2: Yeah. It's, it, it is really important that you, you sort of have the opportunity to learn from different sports, different professional, different professions, different sports. Uh, and you're able, I mean, it's such a privilege to work with, with skilled, you know, like a skilled dietitian, a skilled sports psychologist, and at the the ski team, what the really cool thing was we were all on the same floor and we were all in one office. And so by sharing that space, we were sort of, um, I don't want to say forced, but we were, it was encouraged for us to have those conversations yeah, yeah. outside of maybe formal meetings. And we got to know each other. We might share a meal together. We might share a workout together and we would just talk and we would get to know each other. And so the, the basic social barriers and the basic maybe assumptions we have about what a sports psychologist is or what a dietitian is or what a strength coach is, um, those are broken down. And, and that facilitates better communication, maybe in the formal setting you're not intimidated to ask a question or to say, ask a colleague, why, why are you approaching the rehab this way? Or, or why are we not, you know, can we, can we do this? You know, and, and that's what it's all about. If you're going to, if you're going to take care, care of these athletes, you need everyone on the same page and you need people not to be, you know, defending their turf vigorously. They need to be, absolutely. they need to be. Humble, and they need to be willing to get feedback from other people who are who are observing them, you know, in their job on a daily basis. And so that was that was a really cool experience, and it helped me to see that, you know, when when sports medicine and performance professionals uh, share the same space and they they share the same equipment, they start observing each other's practice patterns. And those, they start using the same language. Like one of the, one of the big issues I think is that the, the rehab people don't have the programming language. You know, there's a separate, um, a separate professional kind of box of, of exercises that each group has rather than a shared continuum of, of exercises. So that, that's a big, that's one of the big challenges that faces us. But if you're, if you're not separated by walls, you're going to be better able to get to know what the other group does and, and you'll have a better appreciation for it and it won't be so foreign to you.
1: Right. And that's that principle of kind of our environment can can dictate you yes, know, how we interact. exactly, And that's huge. Even at you know, the micro level, I try to take the same approach with regards to coaching athletes. It's like if I can change their environment a little bit, whether that be adding something to an exercise, maybe they'll pick things up quicker or even kind of the macro view of like just getting to know people on a personal level. Um, It's like, the more you're siloed, you're not going to get to know those people and thus you're not going to be able to look through their lens and kind of understand where they're coming from. So that sounds like the same thing you're talking about with regards to our profession, which you did talk about how that's a challenge, um, which kind of brings me to my next question. Um, But are there any other challenges or gaps that you've identified um, in our processes of bringing athletes back to sport or in their process of return to play.
2: Well, I think the biggest gap the, the biggest issue is kind of the the transition, the foundational transition from the very rehab oriented work to the more strength and conditioning work. That foundational single and double leg strength that usually involves maybe a little bit more body weight work there seems to be, there's like, there's the low level rehab, lower lower extremity strength work or upper extremity work, and then there's jumping. You know, we get back and, and we're gonna run and we're gonna jump. Well, what is the process to being able to return to run or return to jump? What, you know, what magic has to happen in the legs after an ACL repair or whatever to get to the point where you're prepared for the demands of whatever sport you're doing. And we can measure that. We have these force plates and all this stuff. and, and we seem to struggle with really preparing people well. So what what is what is it about that space that um, you know what are we missing? and and to me, it's kind of like this mastery of, of body weight work this mastery of the pr- principle that um, we can take things from uh, the performance realm and the weight room, we can dial them down and we can we can easily transition into, into that work from the rehab, but but the rehab people have to kind of have a philosophy of movement versus a philosophy of, of stillness or a philosophy of protective philosophy, a medical philosophy. You have to, you have to see the body as being really resilient and capable of a lot, and not, not be fearful of of letting it learn to express what it's able to to express. And so, um, it's that gap is what what I see is like part of my 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 goal in life is to help um, lessen that gap and help. Help the strength conditioning professionals uh, value the prog- the body weight progressions that that lead into the maybe some of the bigger, more explosive lifts, and help the rehab professionals embrace more vigorous body weight work or work that looks like strength conditioning work, and, and see that they can use those those movements. In rehab, you don't have to have TheraBand. You don't have to be standing on a wobble board. Um, You can use step-ups. You can use multi-directional lunges. You can use rear foot elevated single leg squats. You can use all these things in rehab. You just just need to become familiar with them and not be intimidated by them.
1: Yeah, that's great. Um, Actually, just recently read like that's somewhat kind of what Franz Bosch gets at with regards to his return to play protocols is is like making sure you understand the movements that are going to be required in sport. And then of course, doing it along a process that makes sense, but eventually getting back to those movements versus kind yes. of isolating the idea of like, Oh, let's do these exercises or work these muscles. And this is a very movement uh, based philosophy.
2: Yes. No. And I've had the, uh, the privilege of, of meeting Franz. I've uh, went to a, a couple of um, a couple of the gain seminars like I think back in 2010 and 11 where Franz spoke and um, really was, you know, my eyes were opened with some of his ideas. And I've also had the privilege of of in PT school learning from Shirley Sarman, who has a very movement-based um, philosophy of, of, of physical therapy. So, So my own philosophy and how I approach rehab and return to sport, and even just, just healthy athlete preparation is based on movement, competency, physical literacy, and then being able to evaluate what are, what are the demands? What are we doing? And how do, how do we best do that? And how do we kind of get over that kind of, uh, it's not just strength, it's, it's coordination. It's, it's getting the neuromuscular connections going versus just trying to get swole.
1: (laughs) No, that's awesome. (laughs) I love hearing that. (laughs) That's great. Um, Well, you know, it's, and it's kind of like what I had heard you say a little bit earlier um, is that it's kind of easy for, for us as coaches and practitioners to latch onto some of the objective variables or, or be attached to our exercise selection. You talked about whether it's someone who really likes TheraBands or maybe someone just loves taking an approach using a force plate, but, outside of those objective variables how big of a role does an athlete's perspective and an athlete's feelings and emotions play in returning to sport and does that directly affect their
2: timeline when they're returning to play absolutely you have to have their trust you they need to understand why we're doing what we're doing and and how how you know you need to give them some idea of this is where we are now and here's where we're going to go. It's going to take this to get there. And I need you to to believe in that. I need you to take some ownership in that because this is a partnership. If I don't have your honest feedback on how you're feeling or if if something kind of irritated your knee or your shoulder while we're doing this, I won't be able to help you as well. So, I need you to I need you to be mature and communicate with me. I need you to let me know what's going on. And if things are going well, we're going to make hay while the sun is shining. But if things aren't going well, we're going to dial it back and we're going to, we're going to take our time because you can't rush biology. And, um, you know, this, this time during the rehab, this is a time we can, we can really rebuild you we can we can take all the chinks out of your armor if you if you let me we can really we can rebuild you better like like you know steve austin 6 million dollar man we can that's right we can we can we can do it better but you have to kind of allow me to kind of go back and and redo some of the foundations maybe and you might have to relearn and rethink how you approach things, and you need to approach this with the idea that that you need to take ownership of your self care. This isn't just about about being strong or about looking good or you know winning. This is we're going to teach you how to take care of yourself now and um, after your career's over, which is really when you're going to really. need it because as we all know, after, after athletics, there can be a lot of sore joints and, 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 and challenges. So, you know, just really appreciate that we care about these, that we, that the athletes know we care about them and that this is a partnership and we need, we need them to take ownership and share in the responsibility of, of making this process work. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, real, real quick, I like that uh, culture. I like because you made me think uh, the one of the big I feel like life skills that's so negligent. It's just just widely apparent that there's no skill here for most young athletes coming into our world is self care. And what I mean by that is let me give you a, a prime example. I've definitely read and studied a lot of the the millennial type you know, how they just how they think and operate differently. They So one of the parenting styles that uh, Tim Elmore talks about, he's a guy, a friend of mine out of Atlanta, who kind of t- touches on this with kids today is like, it's called the drop off parenting style. Basically, think about this, anything your kid needs, you drop them off. If you need to get nutrition, right. they go, you drop them off. If they need strength, you drop them off. And so you, you create this you end up uh, equipping your kids to basically always lean on somebody else, and so they they don't know how to do anything for themselves. So you nailed it on the head. Most of our kids have no discipline, or even understanding of what it even means to take care of themselves. So I love that point you made.
2: I mean, and and it's it's kind of confusing because in your world you get these individuals who are physically just amazing, right? They are. They are physic They're probably early matures. They're they're adult looking in every way, shape, and form, right? But oh, yeah. but from a developmental and emotional perspective, they're still adolescents, and so there's a lot a lot to be learned. And I had a really interesting um, experience with U.S. Ski and Snowboard because we had. We had Olympians, right? We had Olympians who were still in high school. We had Olympians who'd never gone to a day of high school. They'd only had online learning. Yeah,
0: that's wild. Wow, it's and it
2: was it was amazing to me to step back and have an appreciation for what the experience of high school gives to a young athlete, like showing up every day on time, turning in your homework on time. Interacting with people at your locker, you know, being able to socialize. There's a when you're 15 and you have a triple, uh, you have a six figure contract with Mountain Dew and you've never had to show up to school a day in your life and you, you miss out on, (laughs) you miss out on some things. Some things that help you grow up, right? And help oh, yeah. you learn to take responsibility. So um, you know, like I have to help people, I had to help people learn to bring their shoes to training. I had to help people learn some basic skills of of how you interact with people and how you kind of take responsibility for yourself. Because I mean, if if you're a highly skilled athlete in, in some sports, you can be very, very successful at a very young age, and um, you may not have the support, the normal um, kind of processes that most of us went through, you know, high school, college, living in the dorm, just, you know, learning those, those are, those are very um, important milestones in in social structures that we have to help us grow up. Well, some of these kids don't have that. And if you're on the, the AAU team that has a private jet that flies you around and, (laughs) Holy cow, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it it gets it it does get crazy. It's just I mean, I think some of some of the general public wouldn't believe the the situations that that some young athletes have and what they have a lot of stuff, but they don't get a lot of the emotional and the kind of grounding that they need to become uh hot, you know, functioning adults. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that's that's good. I mean, kids today, you know, little little vent here for me. I get I get weary sometimes seeing kids today put out. It's basically like they when they announce what school they're going to from high school. Some of these, you know, revenue sports. I'm like, does it really need to be that big of a deal? Because <laughs> here's my thing too. Is like like you you just nailed it on the head. And, and Coach Hanson has seen this. He's worked with hockey before. And before he came to Texas. That just because you're you got potential to be good and you're going to the next level doesn't mean you're going to make it. It's not for everybody, you know. And creating a big hoopla about it—that's just, you know, you had even started to to earn your spot, and all these people are praising. You. But anyway, that's my little pet peeve. Amen. <laughs> I had to vent for a second there. So I hear you. It's,
2: a, it's all right.
0: Um, I'm gonna hit a couple more questions here, and then I'm gonna pass it to Mike here at the end. So, Coach,er with our profession moving towards this team based approach. We've kind of talked about that. Kind of dig take another layer down. What are some practices you have seen personally, whether in your own shop, in your own career path, or in other settings that works really good that allows you to operate at a high level so the athlete benefits most? Hopefully you got all that.
2: Well, again, I think it is um, the the individuals who are on the team. It need to have a team perspective. You need to be open to feedback. You need to have, you need to have leadership that is willing to actually give feedback. Like you need to have a high performance director who comes out on the floor and observes things you need to, and actually, you know, holds you accountable for for what's going on. Like you can't win. I mean, a lot of people get judged on wins and losses, right? Right. And in reality, we would like to be judged on, on how well our athletes are cared for, how healthy they stay. Are they, are they happy? Are they, are they feeling like, like they're care, you know, are they feeling like they're cared for? Are they available to train? So, so having someone there who, actually, um, helps us be better professionals and grow as professionals. I think, I think that's important and and has some oversight of the whole team to help the team be better and get better and hold them accountable for working together. That, that's uh, super important and who's open to actual questions. So for example, when I was at the ski team, one day, I was we were getting ready to um, have our our weekly team meeting of the the PTs, ATCs, and the strength coaches, and um, I noticed we had we had four athletes who were not training. They had to be in rehab because they had had tweak tweak their back doing some heavy RDLs. Oh man! And so I went to my high performance director and I said, I said. Does this bother anyone that like, we got four, we got four skiers who are, who are not able to train because of this one movement. And so do we want to reflect on is, are we, are we, could we be doing better? Could we do better to prepare the athletes? And are we using this movement in a, in the best way possible? Is there something, are they not prepared to do this movement or, or what's going on? Why Why are they not available to train? So having administrators and directors who who really understand what it is we do on a day-to-day basis and then help us to do better at that, not just not just throw new equipment at us, right? (laughs) But they or facilities, but they help us develop as coaches, as rehab professionals, and they actually help us. Uh, meld together as a team and, and, and lead us, you know, actually lead us. And so, and they help us speak the same language and and get on the same page. And, you know, they create an environment that's that's safe for us to ask questions, safe for us to reflect on our practices and, you know, make mistakes because a lot of times we we learn the most from mistakes. And in the performance world, mistakes can have really high cost, right? You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. so it, it, it's a, it's a fine line, but those are, you know, if you just win all the time, nobody ever questions what, what you're doing. <laughs> and so, you know, is it, are you just surviving or, or, or are you thriving, right? right? Are, are things really, are you really doing things well? Or are you just getting lucky?
0: You made me think of the quote there's, I love, I've read a ton of John Maxwell's quotes in his leadership, but the quote goes, I could be messing it up a little bit, but something like this, it's like, we've got to do a better job, like as leaders and performance professionals, we got to do a better job of working to complete each other versus compete against each other. I feel like not so much, I definitely, we've experienced some of this at Texas over the years, I know I have, but I feel like as a performance team, we work together well, but I know in other institutions, man, I mean, some of the strength coaches in athletic or sports medicine, they are enemies and they want even so much to like, you just nailed it. I remember I went into, this was actually a high school to do some, some speaking, the sports medicine and the strength coach don't even speak to each other. (laughs) Yes, programs for over well over 200 plus athletes and i'm like how is this even functioning anyway it was just it was absurd to me that that was even occurring but yeah if you if you don't have you know and to kind of add to your first point coacher, to have a high performance director on the floor kind of getting a big picture of like what all our objectives are and how we blend and work together is crucial um to
1: understand that so mike do you got anything to add any of that no just the same thing you said like i've seen it kind of on both ends with different people and different, you could say, silos. And I kind of like you, like I'm a little baffled. Like, I don't know how that would work with regards to our ultimate goal, which is serving athletes and serving the people we're here to, like why we're here. Yeah. I can say that like right now, I'll speak to a personal experience. Is like with women swimming right now in Texas, we have an unbelievable, unbelievably good culture amongst our performance team. And we meet every single week, I think we're getting tacos tomorrow. I mean, everyone feels like they have a voice at the table, and it comes back to that environment. Is there's been an environment created, um, seemingly by our head coach, where everyone can feel like they're in a safe place to, as Tracy alluded to, is reflect on things that either didn't go well or did go well. Right. And So, again, you can I've seen the benefits of how that works really well, and then I just kind of don't understand when if you have two coaches who uh, don't even talk to each other. But yet we're all here to save, uh, serve the same person. I don't know. Right.
2: It is it's rare to have people who um, have their foot in both worlds and can and can earn and command the respect of both both sides. You know, it's that that's kind of tough because you're like I said before, you're kind of looked down upon as not a member of either if you have both. But it's. It's cool to see now that there are certain, like, there are some new positions evolving, uh, assistant or associate AD positions of performance, whose job I think it is to help make sure that the processes going on in sports medicine or rehab are going well to kind of oversee that. I'm not sure if those people have all the experiences they need to to really do that um or if they're just business people or they're just if they're just MDs <clears throat> that might be a little bit of a challenge or they're just strength coaches that might be a little bit of a challenge or or strength coaches who've gotten their PhD so finding people who are really interested in in managing and leading you know kind of like the educational leadership but they also understand the 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 programming side, or what it means to equip a facility, or what it takes to to rehab someone. There there just aren't a whole lot of people out there whose skill set is that broad, and so getting those people is is a challenge, and giving them power to actually exert some effect. Mm-hmm.
0: That's good. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. So I'm going to pivot. I got one question, and then Mike's going to close us out with a couple. But this is uh, very relevant and recent kind of happening. And and if if you're in the performance realm and you're on social media, uh, recently the large discrepancies were clearly apparent with the space allocation and resources provided during March Madness between the men's and women's basketball bubbles. Coacher, can you just take a moment uh, and speak into that? What were some of the issues surrounding that you've seen over the years leading up to that pivotal moment and kind of what would be some solutions to fix moving forward?
2: Well, I think the, the issue is reflective of some of the assumptions that, you know, obviously the administrators or the individuals who are in charge of equipping the the women's tournament, you know, they didn't talk to the performance staffs. What do you, they didn't ask them, what do you need? They kind of, somebody made some assumptions (laughs) and clearly those assumptions were pretty old school about, you know, what women do to prepare as athletes (laughs) and, um, which is really ironic given the fact that a lot of these basketball teams, especially at the, power five schools, they share the same facility as the men, like coach Zilner's longhorn basketball, longhorns share the same facility with coach Hootie. And, you know, they, they have the expectation that they will have the same opportunity to access such tools. And, um, so that was, readily clear there that that there was a lack of communication about what the actual needs are to do your job you know so um again we have administrators not really being in tune with what actually happens on the floor and then just you know the whole idea that the women's women's athletes they're they're an afterthought right the men you know okay hammer we got hammer strength we're going to do all this stuff and you know wh- why didn't you know why didn't hammer strength why weren't they asked to do both or i you know we could get another company we could get you know so it's just it it was really interesting to to see this come to light and you know it it sh- it shed some it shed a big spotlight on assumptions made about women's teams and what they do in kind of like the second class status that um, unfortunately, is still here with us that that we experience. And if you if you're a man coaching women's teams, you can sometimes have you know a personal experience with this.
0: Yeah, I, I thought uh, so. I thought it was very, very timely with, with being in this pandemic. And I think today we're living in a in a time and age where you know in, in days past you could just sweep stuff like that under the rug right just kind of keep it right. moving today though you, you i remember one one of my friends we, we talked leadership and we're living in like you call it like an x-ray kind of leadership society where you everything you do is seen and so clearly the apparent discrepancies whether it was like you said I mean i think it's multi layer like there's obviously they're not consulting with anybody on the performance realm for men's or women's, especially the women's side, of what they actually do to train to be a champion. (laughs) They have no apparent understanding of uh, what it actually goes into a a daily, weekly, monthly cycle of training to get these kids to perform uh, at a high level, at a championship level. And not only that, they they just assume that, you know, oh, well, well, women probably, they don't lift at all. So we're (laughs) just going to put the little... Dumbbell triangle rack there and just kind of brushed <laughs> them off, and so it, it it was good that it came out. I know it caused a a backlash, but it's good, you know. Sometimes sometimes you got to break some eggs if you want to have an omelet, right?
2: Exactly. You need to shine a light on the areas where you're falling short in order to to make progress and to really um, do what needs to be done. I think it's uh, yeah, and it it is. It is interesting that all of these things, because the athletes have social media and the coaches, the coaches were willing to, you know, speak out that, that took some, that took some guts to speak out because, you know, we, we've all been in a situation when you're, when you're working with a a university and organization, sometimes, um, you can't speak out. And so, um. And people people now feel more more free to speak out, and I think the administrators will be like, "Oh, well, we better better have our ducks in a row now because <laughs> people are going to ask questions, and and that can only only be a good thing. Maybe not. It's not going to be uncomfortable. It's not going to be very comfortable for some of the people in charge, but they're going to have to be accountable for actually how they do this, and not just kind of like enjoy all of the perks of of these big fun tournaments like like you actually have to do some work and like give these people the tools they need to do their job so that you can have a good product to put on tv exactly right
0: and if you're going to be an organization that claims to serve student-athletes you can't just throw an afterthought to the women and when because really you're saying all athletes when you're really saying men right right so i think it's, it's 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 like you said being held accountable and then correcting where the deficiencies are in actually doing what your, your mission statement is, you know? So I think that's critical.
2: Absolutely. You, you need to live your mission, right? You, everybody wants to be in an organization that believes in its mission and, and lives it. And it's not just a, a bunch of words on a, on a sheet of paper or up on the, the conference room wall. You know, you want to, you want to be a part of something that, that walks the walk.
0: Exactly. So good stuff. Anything else to add to that? Coach Hanson, any thoughts?
1: Yeah, we can pivot. Um, sorry, I'm, I'm still at a loss for words for that debacle that was the women's facilities and, and resources that they were given. So it's just crazy to me that, that a 30-pound dumbbell triangle is all they had. It, <laughs> it really does kind of highlight that somebody, at least somebody, um, has really mm-hmm. no concept of what goes on with regards to look. training the NCAA female athlete.
2: Like, like- ahead. Oh, I was just going to say is, have you ever been up close with any of these teams? <laughs> these are very large, physically imposing people. And so you better believe that they use equipment that, you know, is sometimes certainly the same, but, you know, even more than men. And so, yeah, they they do like really cool, challenging things and they, they actually lift You know, more than five pounds. It's
1: (laughs) (laughs) I. You know, truthfully, I think it would really blow a lot of people's minds who don't get to see these college athletes up close as far as to what they actually do when they train. Yes, yeah. Because you know, I've been lucky enough to see student athletes at the in in the NCAA setting at three different institutions now, and it's just I I I would bet to believe that it's mind blowing to the people who haven't seen it if they were to.
2: And and I think you know to give credit to the performance staffs that it's, it's not just, you know, being toned or buff. We actually, we, we monitor the people, we take care of them. We, we really provide the ability for self-care while you're in this bubble and on the road. And, and like, we we actually take care of people. We're not just, we're not just meatheads, right? We're, (laughs) we're actually taking care of them and it's an essential part of their ability to Play like they do is that they're healthy, um, they're rested, and they're feeling good. And so, so just kind of like honoring the whole idea of what what is a performance professional, and it, and we're not just the stereotype of the hype dude. Okay, like
0: <laughs> right.
2: We try to feed them healthy food. We try to make sure they're rested, and. We use movement, and we use sometimes we use gravity, and we use all these some of these tools to make sure that that they're ready to go. And um,
0: and yeah, it, a little rabbit trail here, just kind of a, a myth. I don't know, Mike or Tracy, if you've heard this, but this goes back kind of what you're saying. I think part of the problem here is just a lack of understanding of what actually goes on to pre- prepare these men and women. I think, you know, one of the myths I've always had to kind of debunk as a strength coach, because I work with female sports and male sports in my career, is that you should train a female differently than you should a male. And personally, I just don't agree with that. I think some of the women I've trained over the years train way harder than the men, meaning there's a toughness there. There's a hunger to get improved. And so I think. Sometimes there's this myth of like, well, women shouldn't train as hard as men or they shouldn't do certain exercises where I'm like, no, women, you train them hard just like you do the male. So I don't know what your your guys' thoughts are on that, but I think that's part of it sometimes.
1: No, absolutely. It's like I think there are certainly considerations to make between genders based off, you know, biomechanically, depending on who the person is. But you would make that distinction within your own men's team or women's team anyway. And so, yeah, certainly – if there is the the myth out there that one gender doesn't train as hard as the other, that is certainly, you know, out of the question. And with regards to my experiences, right. is, I've seen women at the University of Minnesota with Caldeeds who split squat 350 pounds for four straight weeks. Like it's, it's crazy. Right. I have women on my women's swimming team who can do over 20 pull-ups, like like more than one girl. So like what they do is, you know, it's, it's not necessarily male versus female. It's more of what does the sport require? And, That's good. And you know who, who is the person at the end of the day. It's it's not based off gender,
2: right? It's it's what is possible and in and, and at the highest levels, it's amazing what the individual athletes can do. And it all depends on you know what is their what has been their opportunity to train. And certain athletes are intimidated by training if they haven't had you know like certain sports maybe soccer, golf. Uh, some volleyball, they, they've just not had the opportunity to train before they come to college. So they may be a little bit intimidated by it or, or they're just unfamiliar with it. And a lot of times the women, they actually, they need to train more because they're kind of been behind the eight ball. They've been playing all these, you know, tournaments and they're just, they've, they've never been given the time to develop the infrastructure they need to match their skill level. Like these, these six foot four or five, you know, volleyball players who are long and skinny of these long femurs, like we need to, you know, we need to build some infrastructure in this body so they can handle the pounding of big 12 play and maybe, you know, the ability to make the national team. I mean, this is, this is serious stuff and they've, they've spent their time from the time they're 11 to the time they're 18 playing volleyball tournaments. You know, <laughs> most weekends of the year. So it's, you know, they, the women actually need more opportunity to train because there's more catching up to do, right. I think.
0: So, hey, we're, we're going to transition off this. I know this is a good, I could go on this topic for a while, but so we, this is kind of a, kind of a curious personal question. Does Lindsay Vaughn train that hard? Do you know anything about us? I've watched her. <laughs> She seems like she does. She seems like a beast, but I don't know. Does she? You would probably know.
2: So she's she's re- she's retired now. She worked very hard. She had her own uh, Red Bull provided her with her own staff. That's awesome. So she did not. She would come into the the ski team facility a couple times a year to do some force plate testing right. and some some bike testing. But um, yes, she you know she had her own staff. So it was it was very clear to her that that was important to her. Um, and I can tell you that Ted Ligeti, um worked very hard. Michaela Schifrin, she has her own staff. She trains extremely hard and pr- she's, she's very meticulous in her preparation yeah. and her strength coach. So yes, they do. Now it's interesting. Some of the more acrobatic athletes don't train quite in the same way, but they're still as dedicated and so, so say Chloe Kim or Red Gerard, some of the, the gold medal snowboarders who were 17 when they won their medals, their level of training was different because their their training age, you know, Chloe Kim's training age, even though she was a gold medalist, her real training age was probably less than one or two years. Um, so her training looks different than Michaela Schifrin's. And Red Gerard, he won the Slopestyle gold medal. Uh, his training age was way less than a year. I mean, he's a gold medalist. He was about five foot six and weighed 112 pounds. Oh,
0: yeah. <laughs>
2: that's not that's not kind of the typical athlete you might get at the University of Texas. Um, <laughs> no, yeah, for sure.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know, it's a very different, very different sporting animal, and so you you work with that and you you support that that athlete where they need to be supported, given. Uh, sport demands and their circumstances and stuff like that. So, but yeah, there's the, uh, the Alpine ski racers, Alpine ski racing is like kind of like football. They lift heavy and then they do all this other endurance bike the really risky downhill mountain biking. And they're crazy. And they ride road bikes, you know, a hundred miles a week. And they're,
0: yeah, I've been around them. They party hard too.
2: <laughs> they're, you know, they, uh, some of them are very, very, I'll just say high risk takers. They work hard and they play hard because right. it takes it. It takes a certain mindset to go down a mountain at 75, 80 miles an hour.
0: Oh, yeah. You got you, sure. you to be a couple fries short of a Happy Meal coach, dude. That's <laughs> got to
2: It's it's a different it's a different thing, man. It's uh, all, a lot of respect for. What they do, and I'll tell you, learning to ski when I was 46 years old, that was uh, that was a real uh, eye-opening experience for me.
1: Well, as we wrap up, um, we'll kind of shift our topic for one last question towards young professionals. So, Tracy, if you could give any advice to any aspiring young professionals who want to be sport physicians or in sport medicine or even strength and conditioning, um, what type of advice would you give them? Um, so that they're prepared as they pursue kind of the job that they want and as they enter the job market.
2: I would say to go try to observe as many coaches and clinicians as you possibly can and talk to them because I think one of the most important things to have is an open mind and to understand that that different different coaches have different ways of practicing so, so that you're not, you're not just a, you know, a high intensity person, or you're not just a, a McKenzie physical therapist, or you don't just subscribe to this one way that you, you see a variety of ways to approach things. And then you are able to, given your situation and the, and the athletes you're working with, you're able to pull from all of those and continually learn, and, and you, your toolbox is big, and you you can use whatever tool you need to to get the job done. Versus, you know, be real kind of rigid and dogmatic. I know when I was younger, I I kind of thought there was there was one way to to learn to lift weights or learn to clean or whatever, and and I discovered after watching several different uh, international level weightlifting coaches that. That was not true. That there there were several approaches you could take, and that probably was a mistake for me to to be so so stubborn about no, no, this is the one way you have to do it. And so I think that's try to avail yourself of of different ways of thinking and to look look to other professions for processes and systems of, of thinking and and don't just hang your hat on on one method that that'll probably limit you in your your personal growth and probably will limit your ability to, uh, to do your job well.
0: And I would, that's huge. Mike, I just want to add one thing. Uh, Yeah. I think you made me think of David Epstein's book range. He talks about that, not only just observing, you know, people in our realm, but also studying outside of that, whether it's the leadership or in in business and whatnot. I think those, or technology, those kind of areas help open your thinking and have a broader range of finding solutions that wouldn't be just around right. I, I, like, I like that thought process culture.
2: right, right because it it's there's there are a lot of smart people out there and many of them are not not maybe in, in, in our profession. so we need to be able to take the time to learn from all different people. And then we can incorporate that into our, into our little toolbox and, and carry on, but just be, just be open to, you know, that there's, there's not just one way to, to do certain things. That's
0: good stuff. Well, cool. Well will uh, Coach Hanson and Coach Fober. we appreciate it. We're going to wrap it up. Um, anything else to add in closing thoughts for me, either one of you?
1: No, just, um, Tracy, thanks for joining us. Thanks for taking the time. Um, I, the more I found that we have these conversations, especially with professionals from, you know, again, different realms of performance is the more that I learn and the more that I feel like I'm becoming more open minded. So I just appreciate you sitting down and taking the time with us.
2: Right. The The more you learn, the more, you know, you figure out you, you don't know so yeah, much. And humility,
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> and And you have a little empathy for other people trying to do do big jobs and maybe have a little bit. A little bit of patience. Right.
0: Well, uh, Coach Tracy, where can everybody connect with you if they wanted to reach out, follow up? What's the best way?
2: You can connect with me on Instagram at Tracy Fober, all one word. You can connect with me on Twitter at Iron Maven, all one word. And uh, I need to do some adjustments on my LinkedIn. I don't really do LinkedIn too much, but um, you can find me there. I'll be I'll be doing some things on LinkedIn, um, and that's I have a blog, a philosophy of strength and health that I've done since 2006, and I hope to get back uh, writing a little bit more on that as well.
0: And you guys did some oh. podcast episodes. Where yes, did they find that.
2: Oh, yes. I have a podcast with my my physio colleague, Donnie Fox, and our podcast is called Physio in the Art of Human Performance. And we're on Spotify and Apple and CastBox. And so, yeah, we've got about, I think, uh, 10 or 12 episodes. And and our goal with that podcast is targeted toward um, young physical therapy practitioners. and, And we talk about everyday challenges and in processes we we face and we talk about simple things like equipment and different different ideas of, of how you can use things. And so we're trying to just keep it real there and um, be approachable to to the younger younger clinicians and and help them along as they navigate navigate the profession and taking care of people.
0: Awesome. All right, cool. Well one last fun question as we, we shut it down what do you have a favorite quote or scene from Star Wars?
2: <laughs> do I have a favorite quote from Star Wars? I guess I well, I'm a big Yoda fan, so on, I love Yoda you, you you know and I and i'm I'm a partial to the first three episodes being For sure you yeah. know our our agedness so uh you must unlearn what you have learned. And then I'm an Obi I have I have the original Obi-Wan from 1977 action figure. Come on, so I, I I do and um he <laughs> I I love his, you know, you know, these are not the droids you're looking for and oh. the Mo- the Moss Eisley uh quote you'll never find a more wretched hive of scum and villainy. You know, Oh, kind of, I, uh, <laughs> I'm
0: fired up. Let's go.
2: <laughs> Let's go. Yep. Uh, uh I'm I'm down, man. We can we can have a little Star Wars convention. I got some action <laughs> figures. I got all the quotes, Coach.
0: So. You just came up three levels in my eyes, even more. That's, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah,
2: I'm I'm kind of a Star Wars geek, so yeah. it's it's all right.
0: Good stuff. Well, yeah. hey, we're gonna wrap it up. That's uh, that's an awesome episode. So Tracy, thank you so much for just sitting down with us, Coach Hanson. Thank you for for leading us as well. So.
2: You're welcome. It was so fun to be here. I, I'm, I'm glad you guys uh, took some time to to talk about some of these issues because it's a little bit kind of off the beaten path. And uh, but it's real world world stuff, and it's it's relationships and just being human and trying to do the best the best we can for the people we are supporting. That's right. That's right.
0: Well, good stuff. Well, that's it, everybody, for this month the team behind the team podcast. Uh, This is Donnie Mabe, coach Tracy Fober, coach Mike Hanson. We are signing off. Y'all have a great month and we'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks so much for tuning in and listening to this episode of the team behind the team podcast. For future episodes, go to iTunes, Spotify, Google podcast, or Stitcher. We definitely want to keep having great guests on the show and great content. So if you have a moment, please go to iTunes, leave a rating and review, and let us know how we're doing. I'm Donnie Mae, and thanks so much for tuning in.